what we'd like to do this morning, what I'd like to do is just go through several passages, so keep your Bible handy, but we'll be in James chapter 1 to begin with. So get your Bibles out and we will look at some of these texts as we begin this new year. So let's, let's pray and then we'll look into God's Word. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that we can come and we can study it. Thank you that it's plain. We believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, it would, meaning everyone can understand it. Father, help us to get into your Word this year and uh, teach us from it. Teach us this morning and then help us tomorrow to live out your Word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love my dad. I was able to see him this, this last uh, week between Christmas and New Year's. I love my dad. My dad was a strong disciplinarian, as I'm sure many can relate to. While I was growing up, his father was even more so. So he came by it naturally. My dad was also physically strong, so he could tell you something and he could back it up, what he said. One of my dad's favorite sayings I can remember vividly was this statement, you better think twice before you do something. He said that all the time. You better think twice before you talk back to mom. When I can hear you, you better think twice. You better think twice before you fail to do your chores or do your homework or skip class maybe, get bad grades. So I was always admonished to think twice. Now, that admonition didn't always work. Maybe I had brain damage or something, but it didn't always work. In the same way, we are often reminded in Scripture to think twice before we act. Maybe not those words, but we're admonished to think twice. This admonition is found in Scripture in those texts that we read that say, they say, consider, and you can think of them while I'm talking, consider this or count this to be true or reckon. The Greek word means to carefully consider, weigh the facts, and then act. So the idea is to consider the facts of Scripture as true because they are and act even though those facts appear to contradict what makes sense or how you feel. Let me illustrate it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard, here's our word, consider their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. The principle is those who are laboring should consider, should carefully think, weigh the facts of Scripture, and treat your boss with honor and with esteem, even though you don't feel like it. You may say, well, he's a jerk. No one else honors him. He doesn't pay me what I deserve. He makes me work all the time, or he doesn't recognize my contributions. 
those may be true, but we must consider and adjust our thinking, number one, because of who you believe in, God, and what you believe, the doctrine that the teaching in God may not be reviled. As my dad would say, think twice before you dishonor your boss. Not because you fear your boss, but because you love your Savior and truth. So this morning, I would like to take a few verses from Scripture that admonish us to consider biblical principles as true and act on them or think about how we will act or react. And the idea is to adjust the way that we think so that we think like Jesus. This idea for this challenge here came out of our men's Bible study when we were looking at Romans chapter 6, where it says, consider yourselves dead to sin. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Consider, in other words, reckon it to be true and then act like it, even though at times you don't feel like you're dead to sin. Can I put a plug in here for the men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings and then one on Wednesday night? Men, come study the Bible this year. So what do we need to consider is true this coming year according to these texts we'll look at? James chapter 1, verse 2, consider trials joyful because it demonstrates God's at work in our life. So we'll look at James 1, 2. We'll look at Philippians 2, 3. Consider others is more important than yourselves. <laughs> that's difficult because that's what Jesus did. The third text we'll look at is Philippians 3, the next chapter, 7 and 8. Consider all things that would hinder you from really knowing Jesus this year. Consider them as loss, Paul tells us, because Jesus is worth knowing more. And then finally, the fourth text, Hebrews eleven twenty six. Consider the reproach for Christ greater value than earthly treasures. We'll look at Hebrews eleven twenty six. There are other verses than these texts. There are many verses where the imperative to consider God's word and His promises is true and to act like it, but the prerequisite is knowing God's word. That's the prerequisite in hiding it in our heart. God's Word is the content for our considering, isn't it? Can I also say before we start that I'm in this Christian walk, and a lot of times we listen to Josh or whoever is speaking and think, they got it down. You know, they, they, they can do this. They can do this better than I can. I'm in this Christian walk... When I prepared for this, I was at, 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 at my job, I was confronted by the boss, the general contractor, and this hit me right between the eyes. Consider him worthy of esteem. So what are we to consider true in spite of everything that might point? Number one, consider trials joyful or beneficial. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, 
when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness in order that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There are very few people in this life that would say you can have joy in the middle of trials. James uses the imperative here to suggest just that. Consider this to be true, that you can have all joy in the midst of trials. What does our text say? Trials will come. Not if you meet trials this year, but when you meet them. These trials James is talking about include inward temptations. He talks about them in chapter 1, verse 13 and following. But in our text, it's talking about these outward tests. And these trials and tests are varied. This word is the same word used in 1 Peter 4.10, where he says this varied or multicolored grace, it's the grace that God gives us, shows us every day. It's varied. In other words, there will be all kinds of different trials that you and I will face this year. Trials will come, but trials can be met with joy. But we've got to understand this biblical concept of joy. What is joy? Joy is not a silliness or a giddiness in trials. Joy is contentment in adversity, knowing God is for us and at work in us. That's what joy is. Joy is unrelated to our feelings. In other words, we have trials, well, we're sad. We have no trials, we're happy. Joy is unrelated to our feelings, the way we feel. Joy is unrelated to our circumstances, whether we face poverty or sickness or oppression or need. Paul in Philippians 1 does this. In my imprisonment, you remember Philippians 1, in my imprisonment, Christ is proclaimed, and I am joyful. I rejoice, and I will rejoice. I'll keep rejoicing. No matter my feelings or my circumstances, I will have joy. God is for me and at work in me. Trials will come. Trials can be met with joy. And then trials have a purpose. James says, you know something. You know something. You know that the testing of your faith produces something. First, it produces steadfastness. This approved after testing, steadfastness. The word in the King James Version says, the trying of your faith works patient. It's really patient endurance is the idea, or steadfastness. It's like the runner, the long-distance runner who exercises every day through the trials to produce an endurance in his running. Testing produces steadfastness. Secondly, James says testing produces a mature faith. You see God at work in your life, and you don't respond in resentment. You respond in joy, knowing He is for you, and He's at work in your life. It produces a mature faith in testing. James says, finally, it produces a complete faith versus a partial faith. You're becoming all that God wants you to be. Your faith, as James says, lacks nothing. So this year, I challenge you to consider, to weigh the facts of Scripture. Consider trials 
all joy because, because it demonstrates God's at work in your life, producing this steadfast, mature, complete faith. Secondly, consider others as more important than yourself. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. Paul uses a participle here, and he says, as believers, you are to be doing this. You are to be continually considering and determining and acting to put others in their interests above your own interests. So he first of all starts negatively what not to do. Do nothing according to what? To selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? One dictionary defines it this way, ambition that has no concept of service and whose only aims are profit and power. That's selfish ambition. What else? Conceit. Do nothing from conceit. Literally empty praise carries with it the idea of personal vanity. This is what not to do. This is how not to prefer others. What to do? What does he say? Consider what God, consider, here's our word again, consider what God's word says and act with humility. It starts with humility. This word humility is two Greek words smashed together. Literally lowly thinking. I would define humility as the sober self-assessment that everything I am and everything I have is from God, and I think and act like it. I am insufficient. God is sufficient. I am nothing. He is everything. Humility, this sober self-assessment that all I have is from God. All that I am is from God. It's not this false humility. It's not feeling inferior. It's not having a low rank or low self-worth or insecurity. That's not what it is. Humility is a determined self-assessment that all I have is from God. It starts with humility. It ends in preferring other. Literally, the word is to have over. In other words, make superior. Make others more superior, significant than yourself. Why? Because it displays Christ-like thinking. This same word in verse 3, this, these words squished together, this lowly thinking, is, made, is, is used in verse 8 of Christ. He humbled himself in verse 8, same Greek word. This is how Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11, right? We know that. Gentle and lowly. If I really want to act like Jesus this year, one way I can do that is to consider others is more important than myself. But I'm going to need to think twice about it and then act with lowly thinking. Consider others more important than myself. And then number three, consider all things that hinder you from knowing Jesus as loss in order to know Jesus better. Philippians 3, if you're there. Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I considered as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Have you ever had to write a resume? We all have, haven't we? Much of the content of the resume consists on how I am a better candidate for a job than my neighbor, right? That's a resume. So I put my accolades, my accomplishments, and my exaggerations, maybe a little bit. It's really tough when you have to fill out a pastoral resume, isn't it? Isn't it, Josh? You got to do that humble brag, you know, it's how do you do it? Listen to Paul's resume here. Philippians 3, 4 to 6. And his resume is way better than anybody else's. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is what Paul counted gain, which actually separated him from Christ. So the question we need to ask, I need to ask when I look at this text is, what do I count as gain this year? Maybe my goals, my desires that may really keep me from knowing Jesus. Maybe I want to make so much money. Maybe I want to achieve something educationally, or maybe I want to amuse myself different way, my work schedule, my personal achievements, my goals. What do I count as gain that might really keep me from knowing Jesus better? In this verse, Paul seems to divide his, these verses, he seems to divide his life up into two, before Christ and after Christ, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, he says, whatever gain I had, I had, I carefully weighed the facts and considered them as loss. This word loss is interesting. It means complete loss. It's that word used in Acts chapter, what is it, 27, where Paul is on the ship and he says, hey, if you don't turn the ship around, it's complete loss is the idea. Paul says, I completely, I consider them as loss. And then in verse 8, he uses a small word, indeed. Literally, more than that, right now, at the present, I continually weigh these facts, and from now on, I consider everything as loss. In other words, Paul, his idea is coming to know Jesus changes your perspective. It changes your perspective. Knowing Jesus Christ makes our gains, even good gains, Paul says, truly worthless. He uses a not-so-pretty word here to describe his trophies, his gains. He says, all these things I count as rubbish. It could either mean, as the King James translated, dung or manure. I count them as worthless refuse. Or it could be used of food after a big party. You discard and you just throw it in the garbage. Nobody wants to eat it. It's leftovers. I can remember getting different athletic awards when you play sports in junior high and high school. 
different trophies and medals. I would set up on my shelf in my bedroom. They were great. I, I had a trophy or two or three, whatever. When I began dating Denise, those trophies kind of got squished over to the side when her pictures and her, the trinkets that we enjoyed together, they began to squish out my trophies. Eventually, those trophies got tossed out. They were replaced by a person. Those trophies I counted as gain became garbage when I met my wife. I didn't miss them. When we truly begin to know Jesus, all our trophies become worthless garbage, even those good gains. So knowing Jesus makes our gains worthless, and then knowing Jesus makes any loss, any loss on our part really a gain. We are gaining Christ. We're all familiar, Jim Elliott says, we're losing what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. Knowing Jesus. So in this text, Paul is suggesting a voluntary loss, not just of weight. We'll lose weight this year, hopefully, huh? We may lose debt this year, hopefully. He's proposing a loss of all things, even good things, that will hinder us from what is truly gain in what he calls the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, more fully. May God help us to do that this year. Know Jesus more. So, three, consider things that hinder loss, and then finally consider the reproach of Christ greater value than earthly treasures. Hebrews eleven twenty six. Hebrews 11.26 says this, he, and we're talking about Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. If we know anything that awaits us this year, we know it will be reproach for Christ. This word is interesting if you study it. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, these reproaches, they're heaped on God and His saints by the wicked. Reproaches. And in the New Testament, this word becomes associated with the indignities and the maltreatment of Christ. So Paul, using Psalm 69.9, which is a messianic psalm that says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, he uses it of Christ. He takes that messianic psalm, uses it of Christ, and says that Christ bore the reproach of those who reproached the Father. The writer of Hebrews continues and says, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you're reproached, our word for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And two verses earlier, he says, it shouldn't surprise you. Don't be surprised at this. 
So the author of Hebrews takes as an example Moses. Moses, who considered the reproach of Christ in identifying with God and his people, and he acts on it. He considered that reproach greater riches than the riches of Egypt. How? How did he do that? It's interesting, our text, it says he looked away. Literally, we we miss a little bit in our translation. Literally, that verb is he's looking away. He's looking away from something, and he's looking to something. He's looking away from the riches of Egypt. And he was looking, he was fixing his attention unto. It's the word carries with it the idea of an artist who pays careful attention to his artwork. He's looking to to or toward the reward. What reward? What are you looking at, Moses? What are you looking to? Well, it's not earthly reward. He's looking away from that. It's temporary. He's looking to the heavenly and the eternal reward. Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. This text teaches us there are two treasures the treasures of Christ and his people, or the treasures of this world? Which will we consider and go after? There are two viewpoints. One is temporary, and one is eternal. Our challenge from Hebrews 11 is to consider the reproach of Christ more lasting, a more lasting, a more satisfying, and a more eternal treasure than anything this world has to offer. So I challenge you this year, consider trials joyful because God is at work in your life. Consider others as more important than yourself because that's what Jesus did. That's how he thought. Consider all things that hinder you from knowing Jesus is lost, is waste. And then consider the reproach for Christ of greater value than earthly treasure. How do we live? What can we learn? The considering that we're talking about, the considering and acting and doing, is based on biblical principles. In other words, God's Word. I challenge you, and I challenge myself, we need to be memorizing God's Word, hiding it in our hearts, memorizing those fighter verses as we're able to do that. Secondly, this considering and doing is not easy. It's not easy. Joy in trials, lowly thinking, all things is loss, reproach for Christ. The Apostle Paul sums it up this way, for me to live is Christ. That's the idea. For me to live is Christ. This is how Jesus thought. He sets his face. He determines. This is how we must think. Third, considering this considering and doing is not for our drudgery, but for our delight. Jesus is not in a competition for our affection and devotion. He's way above that. He is not in a competition. There is no competition. He is of such 
greater value than anything that might deter us from knowing and following and loving Him? There is no competition. It is not doing these, considering these things and doing them. It's not for our drudgery, but for our delight. As I said earlier, there are other things in Scripture, other verses that tell us to consider and act. One of those is this. Consider your elders worthy of love. We've got elders here at the church. I thought this was an interesting verse. Literally in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, it says, esteem them highly in love. Literally, it's our word to consider and act. Because of what? Because of their labor? Because of their leadership? And I got to have another L, because of their lecturing. In other words, they're admonishing those elders who get in your business and call you and check on you. 1 Thessalonians 5 says in verse 12, get to know them and consider them worthy of your love. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Savior, that question I asked all of us in the middle of our challenge, what do I count as gain that might keep me from coming to know Jesus? I ask it again, what, if you don't know Jesus, what do you count as gain that keeps you from coming to know Jesus. Maybe it's somebody's opinion. Maybe it's a doubt. Whatever it is, these things are refuse. They're garbage. God loved you so much that He sent His one and only Son to die in your place in order to bring you to God. The best, the wisest thing you can do to start this new year is to trust Jesus as your Savior. I hope you'll consider that. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. These things are convicting to me. Father, help me to consider trials joyful. Help me to prefer others. Help me to think lowly. Father, help me to discard, consider lost things that hinder me from knowing you. And then help me to bear your reproach. Help me to stand for things that are right, you and your people looking to the reward, the eternal reward. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.